All right. Okay, I'm not going to tell the Irish jokes then, I, that I, uh, <laughs> since there are, there are some. And my family's, my, my family's from Ireland, and, and you know, I, uh, oh, by the way, we're thankful that uh, this, is, this is Deacon Larry's first Sunday of, uh, as Ron says, taking a few reps. Uh, uh, and so uh, anything that, uh, if Larry, Deacon Larry, does anything wrong, it's because Either I or Carter told him that, you know, and, uh, and so he'll, he'll do it wrong because we told him that way. But anyway, we're thankful for, for Larry and, and uh, pray that the Lord will bless him uh, in his ministry here at, uh, at St. Andrews. But uh, I have, uh, I had a, I had a Baptist, uh, you know, one of those barbarian Baptists who asked me the other day, how's Lent going? And which is a stupid question to, to ask. And, uh, but it's the same question I, ask my, I would ask my Catholic neighbors when I was a Baptist. Now, just kind of to rub it in, and, you, know, and, you know, because Lent was so strange to me. And uh, so he asked me, he said, hey, how's Lent going? And I said, well, it's none of your business. And, uh, <laughs> and he said, well, it sounds like you need Lent. And uh, I said, well, yeah, that's what it's all about. And... And so uh, 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 it, it, is, it is a silly question. So I'm not going to ask you how Lent is going with you because uh, I, I, I'm sure that we, I confess, I, I messed up. Uh, I wasn't on a mission trip, but I was at the players' tournament this week and so uh, uh, for, for one or two days. And uh, so I forgot that it was Lent. But anyway, uh, you just start up as... Bishop Ron says you just start up and, and start all over again and, uh, and ex- ex- accept the grace of God. But uh, uh, this being the second Sunday in Lent is, uh, uh, is an important Sunday because as we've already uh, heard the gospel reading, it, uh, it, it points out something that was very strange that, went, that happened in Jesus' life and his ministry. Uh, it is a uh, uh, time where we we learn during Lent that we uh, have to re- rely upon God, that we owe our up de- dependence upon God, that we are uh, uh, open to receive all that He has in our life, but we don't come to God uh, demanding or or with our accomplishments or anything like that, but that we are just open to what God wants to do and, and to the fullness of God. And that's what Lent will help us do. When I was a chaplain at Signature for a few years, uh, around this time of year, uh, during Lent, there was always one or two who were not a- Anglican or Catholic, but they were Baptist or uh, charismatic or, or whatever, and they would combine, they would tell me what they were giving up for Lent. And I, I would say, well, great, good. I didn't, that was the only thing I knew to say. But on a couple of occasions, uh, they would say, well, the reason I'm doing Lent this year and I'm giving up so-and-so is one, one uh, lady said, because I want to become a better person. And uh, who doesn't want to become a better person? And, uh, I, and I told her, I said, well, you know, Lent isn't about becoming a better person. Uh, it's something completely other than that. And then one, another fellow said that he uh, was, had given up eating meat, all meat, for, for Lent. And uh, for 40 days, I'm not going to eat meat. And I will say, well, that's, 
that's great. And he says, yeah, he says, I, I need a new car. And he says, and so I'm hoping that by me abstaining from meat for 40 days that God will bless me with, with, with a new car. And I told him, I said, well, you might as well start eating meat. Uh, I said, you know, God isn't in the deal-making business. Uh, that, 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 uh, that isn't what Lent and that isn't what sacrifice is all about. And yet we find ourselves sometimes uh, saying that because we have gone through Lent or we're going through Lent, we're making some sacrifices. We're making some deep hard sacrifices that we're giving up chocolate and and we're giving up coffee and all those really hard things that we have to give up and the big sacrifices we make that that in some way God's going to be impressed with that and and God will give us the desires of our heart because we are trying to live and try to be a certain way. But yet God does not accept us because of what we do. He doesn't accept us because of some great accomplishment. He doesn't accept individuals. He doesn't receive individuals because we come to him with self-confidence. But he looks at us and he wants us and desires for us to be something completely different. In the collect that, was, uh, that we prayed this morning, we get an idea of what... Uh, can happen during Lent. We prayed this morning, Almighty God, who sees that we have no power of ourselves to help ourselves. Now, that's pretty tough when we think that, well, we do have power to help ourselves. And we can go down a list that says, well, I've done this and this and this that shows that I, that I do accomplish stuff, that I can be something, that I am a strong individual. And yet the prayer this morning that has been prayed in the church since the 5th century, it says, Almighty God, who sees that we have no power of ourselves to help ourselves. And that goes into the second Sunday in Lent. Because in the Gospel reading, in Matthew chapter 15, there's this strange encounter that Jesus has with an individual who is a Canaanite, who, as Mark calls her, a Greek, a Syrophoenician. So uh, this individual is a CGSP individual, and on top of that, she's a woman. And when we read this uh, encounter, it's nothing but weird, a weird conversation. And the amazing thing is that it's just so unlike Jesus. This, uh, this, this can't be the Jesus that we grew up singing in Sunday school. Jesus loves me, this I know. And we think all these wonderful songs and we have all these wonderful stories about Jesus loving us and we hear that Jesus loves sinners, but this is nothing more than just a strange conversation that Jesus has with a sinner. Tom Wright, in making a comment about uh, this passage of Scripture, says that this is a sharp reminder that Jesus wasn't called to go around being helpful to everyone. And yet, I thought that's what he came to do, to be helpful to everyone. But we find that the reason why Jesus, as our reading said this morning, that he goes into Tyre and Sidon, or as the King James says, that he, he uh, goes thence. I love the King James, because we, we need to use the word thence more than, uh, than we do. 
The reason that Jesus is in Ty, uh, Tyre and Sidon is because of the conversation that he had with uh, the Pharisees at the beginning of chapter 15. In verse 1, it's the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, they come to Jesus and ask the question, why do your disciples disobey our age-old tradition? For they ignore our tradition of ceremonial hand-washing before they eat. Now, Jesus' problem, the disciples' problem, was that they were not following the rules. They weren't doing what was considered virtuous. They weren't doing what was considered right and righteous and good. They were doing something completely different and the opposite of what was expected and what should have been done. And, and so they're pointing out the fact that you cannot, as a rabbi, be as righteous as you, as you want others to perceive you as righteous because you don't say the right things, you don't do the right things, and so there's something definitely wrong and sinful about you. But you know, that's, uh, I don't know what, what it's like in other countries, but you know, that's, I'll say that's what we do in America. That's what we do that's what I do. I, uh, I can figure out what needs to be said, and I'll say it. I can be in the company of certain individuals, and I know what to say, know what to do. Uh, you can put on a smile on Sunday morning and walk into a church, and you'd be just feeling terrible and mad. Uh, I've argued with Dee Dee on the way to church when we used to ride together, but she won't ride to church with me anymore. But... Uh, <laughs> But, uh, you know, we could argue and I could get up and preach a sermon and, and talk about how great and wonderful my family was. And uh, we know how to do those things. And yet it doesn't get down to the problem of who we are. I think all of us remember a couple of years ago uh, in Charlottesville, uh, Virginia, where uh, uh, Richard Spencer in the uh, the, the leader of 25 or 50, I don't know, of white nationalists who marched in Charlottesville because I believe they were taking down a statue of, of Robert E. Lee or they had done it. And then there were the counter-protesters uh, called Love Trumps Hate. And, and uh, they, uh, well, we just know what happened. It was just a terrible, terrible thing that took place. And of course, one young lady lost her life. But a few days later, after the demonstration, there was a, a man by the name of Chris Newman, who is the owner of, and I, I'll say it wrong, but the, the, he is the owner of the Sylvan Aqua Farm. Chris Newman is a black farmer. He said, he wrote an article and then it was picked up by a number of newspapers. He said, I'd like to appreciate the love Trump's hate rally, but he said, I just don't. And as he writes, he talks about being a farmer, or he recounts about how he's been racially profiled and questioned by police several times in receiving the strange looks from people nearby. And he makes this statement. He said, it isn't Richard Spencer calling the cops on me for farming while black. He said, it's the nervous white women in yoga pants with I'm with her and coexist stickers on their German SUVs who call the cops on him. He said that 
his farm and the way that his farm is set up, he, he delivers produce that is grown on his farm to the very rich and wealthy neighborhoods of Charlottesville. And Charlottesville, he said, is a, is a place that, that talks about ra- racial reconciliation and what, uh, what all the terrible things that happen between the races. But he says that it is those who are in the, the wealthy, those who, who say that they are for me and, and want to help me to, 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 to progress in life, are the ones that will call the cops on me because I'm in their neighborhood. He said, people are so busy going after the easy fix, going after the Confederate flag, but they're not doing the hard thing, which is thinking. How did we get here, and how, excuse me, how do we dig ourselves out of the mess of institutional racism? The thing that bothers me wasn't so much the protests themselves, but the back padding after he said there is a difference between, between confronting racist and confronting racism. Chris Newman puts the finger on our problem. Whether Republican or Democrat or rather conservative or liberal, whatever it is, we come at life and we know what to say. We do those things, but we don't want to go any farther because it would reveal our, our heart. How many times is, have we been amazed at the fact that that, uh, 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 that, that people portray themselves one way in public or on television, and then you find out that in their personal lives, it's completely different. But it's the way that we are. It's not the way that we should be, but it is the way that we are. And so when Jesus hears the Pharisees talk about He doesn't follow the rules... And he's not saying the things that need to be said. And, and he is uh, nothing more than a low life that is trying to disrupt all the good and righteous things that's going on in Israel. Jesus throws back at them a quote from Isaiah, where Isaiah is quoting the words of God himself. Where he says, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And he goes on to say of those individuals who will honor, them with the, honor him with their lips, that out of their hearts will come evil thoughts and murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, lying, and slander. Jesus goes right to the very heart of the problem. He says some harsh words to the Pharisees, but he also says some harsh words to us. And today we may be here that we'll say the words of the liturgy and we'll go through the prayers and we'll say all the right things that need to be said. But could Jesus say to you this morning, you honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. So after that encounter, Jesus leaves. He goes thence. And he goes to where Jews don't go. He goes to this place where there are Canaanites and Syrophoenician and Greeks, those individuals that Jews will not associate with, not be a part of. But Jesus wants to be left alone. 
He absolutely wants to be left alone. He's tired of being around people. This incident with the, with the Pharisees, it, was just, it, it just broke. It was the straw that broke the camel's back. He doesn't want to do it anymore. And so as Mark says, he goes to, to uh, tie, uh, Tyre and Sidon, and he go, ducks into a house, this private house, because he doesn't want to be around anybody. He tried to get away before, we read in Matthew 14, when he heard that John the Baptist had been beheaded. It said he went away privately to, just to get away. And yet the crowds found him, and, and, and even though that he had wanted to get away from the crowds and get away from the people, he fed 5,000 people. He heals people. But now after this encounter with the Pharisees, he just had it. He's done. He's tired. He's frustrated. He's at the breaking point. And I hope that doesn't disappoint you about Jesus. You know, we always hear that Jesus was 100% God and 100% man. And yet we kind of push the 100% human off to the side. We don't want to think about that much. We want to think about the great power and the, and the majesty and, and the glory of, of, of Jesus Christ, of God living in the flesh, and yet he was 100% human. That's why he knows our failings. It's why he knows our weaknesses. He knows our frailties. He knows what you go through. He's experienced it himself. He gets away from all the, 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 the stuff that's going on around him just to get away from people. But he can't. Because there's this woman who finds out that Jesus is close by. And I don't know if she had ever been to the feeding of the 4,000 or the 5,000. When you read the, the, the Gospels, you see that there were people from Tyre and Sidon that were in, mixed in the crowds of all the others who, come, who came to Jesus. So she may have been one of those, but, but she's back at home and, and she hears that, uh, that Jesus is there. And it's amazing because Jews don't come to this place. I grew up in Detroit, and, and there was an area of town called John R. And Brush that no good Christian person, red, yellow, black, and white, went to John R. And Brush. If, if you were even seen, well, you just didn't go there. I, you could get a whipping at my house. If, uh, if there was, you know, at 18 years old, you could still get a whipping if you knew, if mom and daddy knew where you were. But Jesus is there. And King, the, the, the King James, the KJV, says that she came and, and it, wasn't just a, it wasn't just a request, but she's screaming. She's screaming to the top of her lungs. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David, for my daughter is possessed by a demon that torments her severely. And the amazing thing about all of that, or one of the amazing things is that that Matthew said that Jesus hears this. He hears this woman screaming to the top of her lungs, Lord, save me. Lord, save my daughter. Lord, I know that you are the Messiah. You are the son of David. But my daughter is possessed. She's possessed by a demon that torments her. And she wants her healed. 
And Jesus doesn't say a thing. Well, after all, he's got 12 strong disciples, you know, out there. They'll take care, they're supposed to take care of the situation. Well, I don't know if all 12 of them were strong. Uh, Andrew, Andrew couldn't do anything without his brother. We know that. Nathan liked to sit under a tree thinking, so, you know. <laughs> and then there's one of those disciples called James the Less. Now, you can always depend on James the Less, couldn't you? You know, he wasn't going to do nothing. He'd be hiding behind a tree, not sitting under a tree. It's just, uh, it's just, but the rest of those guys, they're zealots, they're tax collectors, they're fishermen. They'll take care, they can get take care of the woman. And what do they do? They come running to Jesus and say, Lord Jesus, send her away. We can't, we can't take it anymore. Get rid of her. Get away. Just tell her to leave us alone. She came to Jesus absolutely powerless, a Gentile woman. She didn't have a right to ask a Jew, especially a rabbi, especially Jesus, anything, but she just doesn't care. She does what any good mom and dad would do. She's there for her daughter. So she says the right words. She gives the proper respect. She presents the problem. And all she needs is two or three words from Jesus that her daughter is healed. And she's done. But Jesus responds to her in a way that maybe he was still thinking about the encounter he had with the, with the Pharisees and, and that quote from Isaiah of God saying, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Maybe that's still rolling around in his head and he looks at uh, that woman or he hears the woman and he says, I'll put her in the same category as those Pharisees. She can say all the right things she wants. She can do all the right things that need to be done. But in her heart, she's far from me, just like the Pharisees. And so Jesus says basically, listen, lady, nice try. But I didn't come here for you. I'm not, I'm not here for you. I'm here for the lost sheep of Israel. And I'll tell you, even though that for years and years, all my life, I've, heard, I've known about this story, yet every time I read it, I'm going, huh? It's almost as if Jesus forgot to put on his what will I do today bracelet. <laughs> uh, and, 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 you know, where, where is this coming from? I mean, this isn't Jesus. How could he say such a thing? It just doesn't sound like him, but it gets worse. It says that she came and fell down and worshipped him, which, as we know, worship means to kiss the ground. And so she falls over at the feet of Jesus with her face in the dirt, saying over and over and over again, Lord, help me. Lord, help me. Lord, help me. Is Jesus moved by that? Verse 26, uh, he says, it isn't right to take the food from the children and throw it to the dogs. 
Now, I know that we as good Christian people want to defend Jesus. We want to say, well, you know, it's just not as bad as it looks like it is. We want to soften the story. And I've said it, you know, I, I, I really believe that Jesus had a, a, a good Jewish sense of humor. And so I've heard it said, well, Jesus is just kind of playing around with this woman. You know, it's just, he's got a smile on his face. He's winking the eye because he knows what he's going to do and all that. But he just wants to just kind of play around with this situation. And, and after all, he, uh, he doesn't actually call her a scavenger dog, those kind that, you know, ran around up and down the street getting in the garbage and all that. He calls her a lap dog, you know, little Fifi. You know, that we hold in her lap, and she's so cute and sweet and, and just nibbles at our ears. And I, so, you know, Jesus is being very kind here, very, very respectful, but kind of being humorous. But I think, well, why would Jesus play around with the emotions of this woman? Why would he get a big laugh and chuckle out of what's going on that he sees that's going on in front of him? And when you get right down to it, it doesn't matter if Fifi is still a lap dog, she's still a dog. She's not human. You know, I, uh, it doesn't take much for me when I feel rejection. You know, when, I, when, I'm, when I'm in a situation where I'm around someone that I know that, they, you know, they just don't want me around. I don't have, I don't, it doesn't take, they don't have to say leave. I'm gone. I can get out. I'd have been long gone a long time ago if I was this woman. And yet she stays. And she makes an amazing statement. Oscar Wilde, who was an Irish poet and playwright, was thrown into prison for a number of years because of his sexual behavior. And the only thing that he was given to read was the Bible. And during that time in prison, he read the Bible. And it seems as if Oscar Wilde found redemption, lived a couple of years after he uh, was let out of prison. But he makes a comment about this story because evidently it was one of his favorite stories in the Bible. And he says this, Christ had the power not merely of saying beautiful things himself, but of making other people say beautiful things to him. What she said to Jesus was, yes, Lord. Yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from the master's table. If she had seen the feeding of the 5,000 or the 4,000, she knew that there were leftovers of this great miracle that took place that day. And yet she wasn't even asking for leftovers. She was saying, Lord, I know that you are one who is great, powerful, mighty. You can do anything that you want. You, you do wonderful things. And I'm not looking for a great big miracle. I'm not looking for you to split the sky or thunder or lightning. I'm not looking for any of that. 
Because I do know this, that because of your great power, if there are leftovers and if there is a crumb that falls to the ground that is unused, I know that that would be enough to heal my daughter. Just a crumb. Just a little crumb that falls to the ground that's gonna, that a dog is going to get. I'll take that because it came from you. You know, we might want to rant because of our present-day sensibilities that she's a child of God. She should have stood up for her rights and Jewish bigotry and all the other stuff that goes on, but we would miss something that's so important. This woman didn't come to Jesus demanding her rights. But as Tim Keller says, she came with rightless assertiveness. She said, Lord, I don't deserve anything from you as a Gentile dog. I don't expect anything because of who I am. But I do expect something because you are good. And by the way, I need it right now. Did Jesus ever lose an argument? Well, there's mom at the one at Canaan, you know, but that's family. I mean, who of us can win an argument with our mother? But here's a case where it seems as if Jesus lost an argument to a woman, to a Canaanite, to a Syrophoenician. And if Jesus smiled through all of this, it had to be right now. Because of what this woman said, there had to be a smile. He even says in verse 28, O woman, great is your faith. And this just wasn't just kind of a, a, a throwaway you know, expression. Jesus is saying by O, he is just blown away from what he's just heard. It's the same expression that we would have at a beautiful sunset or the first time we saw the Grand Canyon. Whatever it may be, it would just blow our minds. And Jesus goes, oh, woman. And the affection and the love that came from Jesus when he heard those words. He says, lady, he says, there isn't any greater faith. Great is your faith. There isn't any faith greater in this world than the faith that you just spoke of at that moment. And he said, let be to you what you desire. And her daughter was healed at that moment. This second Sunday of Lent is a Sunday that will help us if we look at this story to find this, that Jesus doesn't listen to our words, but he hears our heart. And what he hears from our heart, he would like to hear in the words of our mouth. He doesn't hear, he doesn't respond to a heart that is filled with self-confidence and a heart that is filled with deceit or demands placed upon him. But he hears the heart of faith. 
the heart of faith that comes to God and says, I have nothing to give you. I have absolutely nothing to give you. There is absolutely nothing that I deserve. But I'm open to receive anything, even the crumbs that fall to the ground that come from you. You know, every Sunday that we're at St. Andrew's Church, we're reminded of this story. In just a moment, we'll pray the prayer that we pray every Sunday. We do not presume to come to this thy table, O merciful Lord, trusting in our own righteousness, but in thy manifold and great mercies. We are not worthy so much to gather up the crumbs under thy table. But thou art the same, Lord, who is great in mercy. And when we come to this altar or we come to this kneeling rail and we kneel or we stand, what we will be given is not crumbs. But we will be given the bread and the wine the real presence of Christ. All that it means, it does mean this. We will be given Jesus Christ and we can feed on him. And he will nourish us. And he will come into our empty lives, our insecure lives in our hearts. And once again, he will give of himself to us. And when it comes right down to it, he is all we need. That is all we need. Is Him in a heart that is open to Him. Let us pray. Our Father, when we come to You, it's not, we're not accepted because of who we are. We're not accepted because we are of a certain race and nationality. We're not accepted of you. We're not, we're not loved of you because of, of, uh, of what we've done, what we've accomplished, and where we've been. But we, were, we are received, we are accepted into your life because of what you have done. And as this woman has pointed out and showed us again this morning, that all of us are undeserving. All of us are frail. All of us are wounded. We have nothing to offer you. There isn't anything that we can give you except ourselves. And so on this second Sunday of Lent, I pray that we will once again offer ourselves and who we are and our frailties and our shortcomings in those times that we have messed up life so bad. But just give you our empty selves and allow you to fill us with your presence. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let your light so shine before all men that they may see your good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven.